Hello, and welcome to this series of podcasts designed and prepared by the AEC SMS Working Group on Entrepreneurship. Our group is looking at how higher music education institutions can integrate an entrepreneurial mindset among students and teaching staff. We hope you enjoy the series of podcasts we have prepared for you. A very warm welcome to the podcast. I am Olaf Bruns and I will guide you through this episode, which is on fear and failure, fear of failure and what to do with it. Now, we all know these situations where you are too scared to even dare, well, to, to give it a try. And that's particularly pernicious for musicians where the idea of failure comes to mind as soon as the first wrong note is played. Today, I have two guests with me who both have had their experiences with fear, failure, with overcoming it, with learning from it or with thinking about it. It's Julia Palanch, a singer from Vienna, who after a few years of touring and being on stage has found her way back to university for a master course. Welcome, Julia. Hi there. Thanks for having me. And Bergenald Rush, who is a clarinetist from the US, but based now in Dublin. Welcome, Bergenald. Thank you. Julian Bergenald, I'd like listeners to get to know you a bit before we dive into our subject here. So, Julia, before I introduce you as a singer, but that is, of course, a bit short. So what do you sing and what is your particular passion in music? I sing Kunstlieder as songs, but I'm not really sure if that defines me. I never really thought about myself choosing the repertoire rather than the other way around. The repertoire chose me and it suddenly appeared in front of me and it was my decision to say yes to it. And that's what I did. I've been singing Schubert, Schumann, Brahms, although I'm a jazz singer and not classically trained. So I'm in between genres, in between lead and song. How did you fall in love with music? When I was a small child, there was this picture in my mind that, that I wanted to be singing. I, and I practiced like you see in the movies with the hairbrush in front of the mirror. And I loved, you know, watching, uh, I don't know, MTV because I had two older sisters and I grew up, of course, surrounded with pop music. Although when you, when you learn to play an instrument in Austria, you grow up with Schubert and Mozart. And so I always had these, these two worlds around me. And of course, the brass band where I played the flute. So I just had this yearning since I could remember to move to music, to sing music, to live music. Uh, but I never knew um, how, or I didn't have a picture of, of how to be a musician and what, what this kind of life lo even should look like for me. Well, that is perhaps a good moment to listen to a short bit of yours. Here we go. Fin che vita in petto 
Bertinot, you're a clarinetist, as I said before, but that again doesn't say a lot of what you're actually playing and what you're busy with and what, what drives you as a musician. I am a clarinetist, um, and I actually got into music, hap not haphazardly, but it was as a vocalist. I started out as a singer, singing, growing up singing gospel music in church, and then moved to the tenor saxophone, which was my first official instrument after, you know, the recorder. And then later, around the age of 16, began the clarinet. So my path to music was a little bit like this, and it wasn't directly to classical. It was through other genres leading to classical, um, which I fell in love with because of a recording my mother got of um, the bolero, Ravel's bolero, and um, Ravel's mother, Goose Sweet. Um, And I fell in love with these pieces, the colors and particularly the colors of the wind, the timbre of the wind and how they kind of blended together. And it reminded me very much of like the vocal timbres of, in gospel music, where we sort of really pushed the envelope in terms of virtuosity and singing style. And so I really loved how those colors were sort of, you know, related. And so from there, I, I studied music in my undergrad as well as Spanish um, and as well as psychology and then went and got a master's in music and clarinet performance. And then later another master's, but in Spanish linguistics and cultural studies um, in Spain, um, and then went and got a recital artist diploma um, in, in Dublin um, in clarinet. So my path has been a little bit like this. I've done a lot of different things. I founded a nonprofit. Um, I, I, I've taught Spanish to students with language-based learning disabilities. I've performed as a clarinetist. What are you currently busy with as a, as a clarinetist? I'm in the midst of a couple of things. I've just been appointed to the Associate Artistic Director of Musici Ireland, which is a chamber music collective here in, in Ireland. And I play with Chinake Orchestra based in London, which is the first, um, you know, predominantly um, ethically diverse orchestra in Europe. I'm also in the process of recording my first album with my harpist duo partner, Fiona Greisen, um, titled Dachina, which means colors in Irish and in, in, in Guelga. That's probably exactly the moment to go straight to a short extract of yours. choose to be musicians, which is probably not the most straightforward career path. And if you look a few years back, did you ever have this sense of fear? Is this gonna work out? In America, we're very much aware as classical musicians early on that this is a very challenging and difficult career to break into. I mean, when you think about the sheer number of people in the U.S. and how many of those people graduate from top conservatories, top universities, top schools and colleges of music around the country and the number of, you know, potential jobs, it can be overwhelming. So from that perspective, there's always been a consciousness of it, but I never kind of, 
identify that as a fear that I experienced. It was just like, okay, well, that's a part of the job. You just got to kind of deal with it. So I was rather naive in a, in a, for me, in a very helpful way. I just wanted to sing and find a way to, to come to, um, how do you say, include and really engage with music in my life. And I remember that I changed school. I'm from a small town in Upper Austria and I changed school to a little bit bigger city in Austria, to Linz. And it was a music school. And there it was like, you know, there was this room opening up that music could be a part of your life in so many different ways. And I just knew I wanted more of it, you know, even like more and more. But I do have to admit, the more I got into it, and even the first steps in university and studying, the more I got afraid. How, how did that work out for you? Well, I, I like Virginal said, I think fear is a part of your life in general. And I think it's it's very important to really acknowledge its presence and just accept it you know not not that it stops you but that it's it's a part and to go to walk through it rather than around it is that what you did when when you had these moments of fear i think so because i kept on moving and kept on singing which for me is a part of walking through it and and i remember my first concert uh, or concerts in a different context before that I was more in electro pop, you know, playing in bars. And then I had this classical in between jazz field where I played in more prestigious venues where you have certain expectations of your music scene, of, of your peers. And I suddenly had a totally different fear. Was this like a conscious process or did it just come to you or did you attempt something? Well, I think in general, fear is like a very physical emotion, even, you know, you fear it, you, your body changes, your, your, your taste in your mouth, your hands. And so it's, of course, conscious, but unconscious for me. It's, it's, it's all connected. But to come back to facing the fear and to, to talking, I felt that just doing it, even though you feel uncomfortable and, and the more you do it, the, the more, even if you, even if you say that you're uncomfortable, the more the fear loosens up the grips it, it, it has on you, you know? And this is something that is very much happening through routine, through a band, uh, through peers around you, through continuing the practice of playing live, recording, being active as a musician. What really helped me to to really also work on a body image with dancers, like very specifically, like I'm afraid on, on stage when I talk to people, I tense up. And so I, I met with great dancers and actors who had a totally different approach than a musician where you have to practice before and then you deliver it. There's a There's a different body physics concept behind it that helped me a lot. Virginald, is this something you can connect to? I think a big question to ask is, from this conversation, are we saying that we're free from fear, like we no longer experience? Because I think day to day, we all encounter these moments. Um, whether for me, post-COVID and having to go back on stage again after not having played on stage for almost a year has been a moment of like, oh, can I still do it? Um, and you are in this space where you're trusting the, the, the work you put in prior. You really have to trust your preparation. Um, and then you're also really trying to get captivated by the music you're making. And that sort of can help carry you beyond that fear. And I definitely agree that it's about going through it and not around it, not avoiding fear. Fear avoidance isn't useful in these moments, particularly if you want to be great. 
in anything you do, there is going to be an element of fear. There's going to be an element of like trepidation. And so I think it's very important that you face that and go through it. Um, and that way you can grow. I think there's a growth element to fear. And so I find that that frisson between fear and growth is necessary to reach that other side. Bojanald, when we spoke before, you told me of a particularly scary audition which took place here in Brussels, where, where I happen to be based. Could you tell us what happened there? Oh, gosh. Well, it was it was a couple of things. Um, I flew in to Brussels for this audition. Um, and I'm very much used to American systems of auditions where you have a small amount of people in a room and then you kind of get divvied up into practice spaces. And when I got to this particular audition, it was a huge like cafe, cafeteria in the space of clarinetists, of a hundred plus clarinetists playing as fast and as loud as they possible in this, you know, concrete stone room. So the sound is reverberating back and forth. And that does something to you psychologically and it does something to you physically. You do have a physio physiological response to that sort of energy. And then you're, and me, I find I'm so very empathetic so I can pick up on other people's energy. So I'm picking up their anxiety, their stress, their nervousness, their excitement, all of those things. And then, and I'm absorbing them as my own. So then when I go to the audition, into the actual room after sitting in this space for what was an hour, hour plus, I go into my moment of privacy in the warm-up room for like maybe five, 10 minutes, try to center myself before entering into the actual audition space. And, you know, from the adrenaline of that first excerpt, which I felt went really well, it just kind of went downhill from there. I wasn't able to play at my best because I was now experiencing all the anxiety and the, 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 the flood of um, adrenaline from just having to go through that experience prior um, previously, prior to actually going into the room, and then the adrenaline of the actual first excerpt I played. So it was a lot, and I felt like I could have been more prepared for that element, just not being aware that I could have, you know, there are things I felt like I could have done, and it was so, like, traumatizing, honestly. Like, after I finished playing, I took a break, I left. I just grabbed my stuff, and I left. I didn't wait to hear if they called my number. I didn't wait to find out if I had advanced. And that's, I've never done that before. That's not like me. So this is not only about getting over your fear, But it's also about setting a limit, like yeah. until here I want to go, but not any further. Right. It was counterproductive at that point. And I didn't think I would be able to do a good showing beyond that point, considering all the emotional things I was experiencing at the time. But it was a really great learning opportunity. Like I went and bought myself a bag afterwards and, you know, I'm going to celebrate this. <laughs> um, and just, you know, but it was in that moment, it was it was a lot like I have never experienced that before or since. Would you say that the world of music is particularly prone to scaring musicians into fear of failure? I was just thinking about myself in the first concerts where that where I knew where where the hardest parts of the pieces were and every every piece before that I almost couldn't enjoy because I kept counting down even I was on stage connecting to people or 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 you know being in the moment but still my head was like so, okay, there's one more before that, before the, the, and so I think it's, it's a mixture of also conditioning yourself, putting yourself under a certain amount of pressure because you have expectations that, that you built for yourself, but also that you, the expectations that you learned and then internalized thinking they, they, they are your, you know, and, and the distinction between What does it really mean for myself to enjoy and making music in a free and honest way? How does that really feel and what does it look like? I think this is a way of, of like getting to know yourself, getting to know yourself as a human, growing as a human. It's a lifelong journey. 
I think there's an element to it that does encourage the, the acknowledgement of the work you have to do to be good, to be considered good in the field. I, I tell this to students and, and colleagues, or we talk about it all the time, about how as a musician, we're pretty much the only profession where we've had to decide what we wanted to do at the age of like 11, 12, in order for us to be good enough to do our job as adults. You've had to have started performing or playing or learning for a violin to be a soloist at like three, four, five, you know, as a clarinetist around 11, 12, 13. And so we've been doing our craft for a very long time. And because of that journey, it's become so, we become so identified with that process, with that part of ourselves that the part of fear that we experience is not just because we're not going to be good at this, but as a person, we're not going to be good. Like our sense of self-worth can be tied so strongly to our ability to perform and to produce good work. There's no other profession where you have to be so consistently good to be able to do your job. Doctors can make more errors than we can. And certainly, certainly athletes don't have to be nearly as accurate in their job as classical musicians. I would like to speak also about courage and how it is linked to fear. But I have to admit, I'm not that sure that courage is, is really the opposite of fear. Or would it rather be like a realization that fear is part of life? I think you already hinted to it. And that accepting fear, recognizing it in oneself is perhaps the first step in overcoming it. Or Perhaps it is actually what courage is all about. How would you see this nexus between fear and courage, Julia? I think more of it, it was trust. Trust in, in, in what, 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 what instinct drove me on and where I felt like myself or where I felt free. And I think the, the, the whole basis for me or home base or foundation is much more relating to trust than to courage, because I think I only have courage if I have trust. I think also the, there's the space between courage and fear is external or, or it's seen externally. Like for myself and maybe for Julia, her experiences, they're probably different. And so what what she requires in order to be seen as being courageous might be different than what I require in order to be seen as courageous. And then what she does that she experiences as normal, other people's might observe as, wow, she must be very brave. Whereas for myself, it might be like, oh, yeah, she's, I know her story. I know her history. I'm like, oh, that's actually just a part of who she is. That's not an, an act of bravery or a, a shine of courage. It's just who she is. And I recently read a tweet by Dr. D. Knight, which I've shared to many people recently about how res we need to stop celebrating resilience without interrogating the systems in place that make people have to be resilient. And in that same vein with those, the, not just being resilient, but having to display these elements of courage, right? So for me, What I do every day, other people might see is, wow, he must be so brave, must have so much courage. And for me, I'm like, I'm just trying to survive, get on with it, you know. And so it's really important to look at this dynamic between fear and courage and assess from whose perspective are we talking about? Is it the artist or is it external viewers? Um, and so if we're looking at it from the artist, courage is just a matter of waking up every day and doing what you say you're going to do. You know, and that also is a part of integrity, saying this is who I am, so I want to, this is my path, I'm going to follow through, having that follow through. And that might require courage for you, it might not, and it varies day to day. I think, personally, the things that require courage for me are, you know, continuing to follow through, even when there are setbacks. And that doesn't necessarily inspire fear, it just inspires a kind of a willingness to say, okay, I need to do better next time. And then having the, the, the faith and courage in myself 
to do that, to do the work, to put in the work. So it's a lot of different points, I think. I have to say, I really agree with uh, with everything that Bergenal said. Like sometimes that the people call something brave, but for you, it's the, it was the only way at the moment, and it was the easiest thing to do at the moment. And and sometimes it's the other way around. And I see myself thinking, how does this person manage to do this? But for this person, it's like having no other choice or it comes naturally. So I think it's a very individual and related to to the resources that everyone needs um, to continue are very individual. And the, the better you get to know yourself as something that really helps you to continue your own to fill your own resources, the the more strength and the more endurance you will you will have in a natural way without having to force yourself to go on and i think that's an important part because if you start to force yourself there's a chance you will lose the joy you will lo you will lose in passion it's a dangerous dangerous circle if you try to force yourself to continue although something feels not right that piggybacks on the idea of just having this space and giving yourself permission to define your own element of success what success means for you so yeah i think that's yes, great i agree this series of podcasts is also about entrepreneurial mindset and one often has this idea of the entrepreneur as as the very symbol of fearless bravery and um, which is probably not even that correct after all but if one considers entrepreneurial mindset as a sort of a toolbox. Is there anything that comes to mind, like how to use these entrepreneurial mindset to help grappling with fear of failure? To be, to be completely honest, I've had a lot of trouble with the entrepreneurial mindset regarding to, uh, putting yourself out, the, out there in a, in the way that we have to do now, like social media, like online, like, you know, like going to, I don't know, uh, connecting with agents, sending out press releases. I've, it take, for me, it takes a lot of energy that I would rather spend in a different creative process. As I've been struggling with it, how, how to, how to deal with it and still feel that it's okay for me to, to, you know, to share and, and have the, have the energy to, to again do it. You know, it's a lot of work and sometimes I get tired of it. And I think it would have helped a lot. Well, during my studies, I guess, to really have already kind of a preparation. I think there, there you can find usefulness in any sort of thing. I guess for me, I have to define what is this entrepreneurial mindset? Like, what does that look like? What does that consist of? I mean, there has to be, unfortunately, like Julia was saying, an element of self-promotion, which I also struggle with. So I've had to just kind of separate myself from that part of it. I have my professional Facebook page where I post that stuff. And it has nothing to do with me, the Burgie, the person. And they're kind of like different personalities away. Beyonce has Sasha Fierce when she's on stage. You kind of have to sort of like divide yourself, divorce yourself from that concept. I also think there's an element of networking and making smart connect um, connections and networks with people um, that is very useful. And that can also be a source of encouragement because you see yourself working with people and you're getting inspired by their knowledge and their expertise. So that's exciting. Um, I think also in terms of the entrepreneurial mindset, there's sort of this need to kind of continually be searching and then trying to build, trying to kind of build. And so then uh, giving yourself permission to step back and reflect, um, you know, hold a postmortem of the events you had, celebrate the successes you've had. You know, I think that could be very difficult as well for us is that 
we're always on to the next project so that when something's completed, we never really get a chance to sort of like assess like how it was successful or things we could have done better or just enjoy that success if, you know, um, and so there's, that's a big point, I think, as well as because we're talking about fear and failure, but on the other token that there's success. And so everything's not a failure. Everything's not a success. So we have to balance them. Right. And if we're going to give a lot of, you know, value to the idea of failure, we need to give equal, if not more important to success or our own, excuse me, definition of success. So. And that's already it for this time. Thank you very much, Bergenalt. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. And thanks a lot, Julia. I very much enjoyed having you here. Thank you. And thank you for, for this session. But how could I not end this episode with the famous quote by Samuel Beckett, which, by the way, if you read his short piece, Warswat Ho, is a bit taken out of context. But still, even so, it's a very beautiful one. Ever tried, ever failed. No matter, try again, fail again, fail better. And I look forward to the next episode. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information on the AEC SMS project, we welcome you to visit our website, sms.aec-music.eu forward slash entrepreneurial mindset for musicians.